Welcome to the Mindset Meets Money podcast, where money makes sense. We are at the table with Dr. Jason Heller. Hello, hello. What's up, Doc? How's, How's it going? going? Uh, I'm a little warm right now, but it's all good. Yeah, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> For those that are just listening, uh, the doctor has his professor sweater on and looks like he uh, uh, is a professor at a college, which I know you are. Yeah. You got the look today. That's right. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I expect a lot of wisdom to come out of you right oh, now. Oh, expect too much of me. Oh, uh, we're going to talk about endowments. Yes. This doesn't have to do with college though. This no, it does a, not. No, today yeah. we're going to talk about the endowment effect, which is the, uh, the tendency for us to overvalue assets that we already own. Okay. Okay. So think about it like this. Um, have you sold, you've sold a home before, obviously. A few. Okay. Um, did you ever get in an argument with your realtor about what the home was actually worth? Uh, there are definitely times where I think that, uh, they were trying to get me down to a lower price just to sell. That wasn't what I thought it was. Yeah. So you thought it was worth more than what the realtor was telling you. Yeah, no, it was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Did you sell it at your value or the, what the realtor said it would go for? Uh, I was closer to the realtor's value. Okay. But that's cause you know, he convinced the the client that it was a lower price. No, I'm oh, kidding. Okay. Yes. Yes, <laughs> I did. I sold a lower price. Right. So, so that, that happens a lot. We tend to value assets that we already own more than those that we don't. And this creates- Why would we do that? Um, I mean, it, this is the crux of the endowment effect, right? And so um, the best way I can uh, explain it is, uh, I, I, we use the real estate example, but some of the studies that have been done with this. So uh, Thaler and uh, Kahneman, two famed Nobel Prize winning uh, behavioral finance uh, guys, uh, they ran a study where they got- uh, college age kids. And they said, um, here, I'm going to give you, we're going to give you guys coffee mugs, right? you know, de minimis, small little, uh, uh, assets. And, um, once they had the coffee mugs, they turned around and they said, all right, now we're going to have the other students who didn't get the coffee mugs buy them from you. Um, the students who didn't have the coffee mugs, they bid, they literally bid on average half of what those who owned who owned the asset were willing to part them part with them for. Okay. Then when they flipped it around and, and said to the people, they, they took the mugs away. They said, what would you guys actually go buy these for? And the number dropped dramatically. They came back and said, you know, not what they would have sold, sold, sold it for, but they came much closer to what they would have paid to get those mugs compared to what the uh, students in the class who didn't already have the mug said. So it was very, a similar thing. So they valued the mug at nearly twice as much because they owned it than what people who didn't own it would, would pay for it. Yep. So the, the idea here is it's mine. I, it, it, it's, there's a value, there's a higher value to it because it's mine and it leads to irrational uh, uh, behavior. So you're, you're almost just bumping a price of almost anything in your head because you own it. Therefore you have this personal sentimental attachment. You know what you use it for, you know what it is, and it automatically drives the value up. Yep. from somebody on the street that's going to pay for that same amount um, because maybe they know the marketplace or because it doesn't have that sentimental or use value yep. to them as it does to you. Yep. And so, you know, the, the concept of supply demand, it, effectively things will sell for what someone's willing to pay for it. Right. So that's the same with stocks. That's the same with any financial assets, homes, cars, whatever the situation may be. Uh, I may think my home is worth $2 million. But if I'm not getting any bids above a million five, guess what? It's not worth two million. It's worth a million five, what somebody might might go and pay for it. And then there are situations where things are underpriced and you know this and that. But for the most part, 
things will sell for what someone is willing to pay for. So, so homes are the obvious one, right? Because mm-hmm. I think it, it's one of those ones that you're so heavily negotiating in than opposed to a typical investment that a client might have because they might have an advisor buying and selling and just telling them quickly mm-hmm. and you don't get as emotional to it. But can you talk about as an investor, besides your primary home, where the endowment effect might make you make a poor decision? Everywhere. Uh, uh, so stock, what you said, I agree with what you said with the exception of uh, uh, people not getting emotional about it. That's, that's, if that was the case, we would all be mean optimizing choice makers. We would all make the, the, the most, uh, yeah, all the other biases that we always talk about wouldn't, wouldn't exist, yeah. right? They, they, they wouldn't affect people. Um, every decision is made with the overhang of emotion uh, attached to it. Very few people can weed it out. I, I mean, heck I, I teach this stuff in, in graduate level classes and I still suffer these biases. Do you find that this is, is more, I find this in businesses too. So when I'm trying to buy a company, um, the value the business owner puts on the company is much different than truly what the value is worth. Absolutely. Because they have all the sweat equity involved. In Absolutely. It. They put all this time and love and attention into it. They don't want to sell it. Um, it seems to be more of, in my mind, the harder assets, right? Real estate. It could be collectibles. You might be selling a watch or a car or something that again might have like a little bit more sentimental mm-hmm. value or use value to you or a business. Um, is it mostly those types of assets yeah. that you see it in more than like, I'm not stuck that, you know, I own, um, Tesla. So now I, you know, I'm giving a higher price to it. Not cause I see the price of it that's trading at every day. That's, that's exactly the reason why. So all the assets you just talked about, they're non liquid. There's not a market that shows them from second by second every day, what they're valued at. How do I know what Apple, I keep using Apple as an example. How do I know what Apple's valued at? I go to Yahoo Finance and I can tell you right now to the very second what it's valued at, what someone just paid for it. My home, my home, no one, it hasn't traded hands for four years. I bought it four years ago. There's no ticker to show me what it's valued at. So I assign my value to it. The, the business owner that built the sweat equity into the business and built it up. There's no ticker that shows everybody what the intrinsic value is of that company. So he or she assigns a value to that company. Now, yeah, there's metrics and you take the EBITDA and you, you can kind of draw out what, the, what it could be valued at, but there's still that intangible because there's not a market showing you exactly what someone just bought that for. There's that the endowment effect grips those people with hard assets a lot harder than it would with someone with a, a tradable asset. So, um, how do you, how do you help do two parts? And you're on both sides of the deal. One is if you're negotiating with someone that is affected by the endowment effect, meaning I'm trying to buy a car from them and they think the price is a lot higher than it is. How do I get them back to reality? And then on the flip side, if I'm selling something, a business, a piece of art, a car, house, whatever it is, how do I make sure myself um, knows that I'm probably inflating the value. And, and I think about this, like, you know, I go through a house and sometimes I, and I'm, I'm let's say I'm buying a house or an investment property. I want to walk with the owner because I want to help get them to drop their price. Right. So all of a sudden I ask them, Oh, you know, when were the air conditioners replaced? And then they're like, oh, I really have. And I don't know. It's 10 years. Then they'll start dropping the price on their head. Mm-hmm. Or I go, it looks like you did a little work on the ceiling here. What happened here? Then all of a sudden they're like, Ooh, yeah. And then they drop the price in their yep. head. So when like the things are pointed out to the person you're buying from, the same would work in a piece a car or something like that, then they'll start dropping the price because they forget all those things mm-hmm. that they might see because they're living with it. But how do you do it on both sides? You know, I shared a little bit of probably how you can get 
the person you're buying it from to drop the price a little bit and get more onto a reality plane. But in your mind on both sides, what does it look like? So if I'm the buyer, so like every other vice we talked, we've talked about, you want to ring out emotion and you want to introduce as much quantitative fact as you possibly can. So if I'm buying your business, right, you have an idea what your business is worth, but you've probably given me view into your financials because I'm buying your business, or at least I'm, I'm attempting to. Well, I can go back and figure out similar companies with similar cash flows and similar profit margins, what they sell for. And I can bring you hard evidence. So if I show you, hey, a company with almost identical revenue, almost identical profit margin sold for 5x of its of its EBITDA, you're trying to make me buy yours for 10x, you see where the disconnect is. And so I'm, I'm giving you hard facts instead of engaging your emotional connection to the company you built. Uh, uh, on the flip side, if I'm, if I'm the seller, so you're trying to buy my business and, and I'm giving it to you for 10 X when you can show me that it's five X. I now, if I have it up for sale, I, well, I want to sell it, right? I obviously want to get the number I want, but I'm allowing my emotion in the face of hard data to get in the way of what is probably a, 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 a right deal to be done. And so when you're the seller, Again, you have to try to wring out the emotion of things. You have to try to look at the facts and and kind of keep that at bay, keep the emotional reaction at bay. Yeah, so kind of summing up, you both on both sides of the deal, you want to know what a marketplace that isn't public looks like. Mm-hmm. And so if you're buying a car, going and seeing, okay, what are the other cars that are for sale at the same price to be able to do it? Or if you could be able to somehow see what some of those cars have traded for recently to be able to do it. Or if you're buying a house, it's the same way. You know, that's why you're looking at comps when they're doing mortgages is because they're trying to see that there. Right. Um, so yeah, it's really trying to build a marketplace that isn't public, like you could see on the stock exchange. Right. And, and then the last thing is, you know, trust the professionals that you've engaged, right? If you're buying a home and you have a good realtor, they're going to get you the comps in the area. They're going to tell you what, what you should pay for it. They're going to tell you what you should sell yours for. I'm not saying you don't sit back and argue a little bit with them because, you know, what's the fun in just taking everybody's advice for, for face value. But if you're looking at your home and you're thinking it's worth 2 million, but all the comps in the area proven by your realtor show you it's worth 1.5, you're giving your, your, your endowment effect has, is giving you a, a 33% increase and a, a very, very low likelihood that you're going to sell it at that level. Yep. So uh, to wrap up the conversation, what you really want to look at is for um, different types of investments that are you're buying or you're selling you want to try to get a sense of what a marketplace looks like by getting as much information as you can and then kind of pull out the unique pieces to it, whether it's a business you're buying or selling or a house you're buying or selling and try to give some quantitative number for those unique pieces that might make it a little difference on what the supply uh, has been selling for and what the supply looks like right now. Exactly. Thanks for being here, doctor. Good time. Thanks for tuning in. If you found this episode helpful, why not spread the knowledge? Share it with a colleague who can use a dose of insight. Just shoot them a quick text or email with the episode link. Together, let's unlock more valuable insights in the next episode.